Well, shalom, everyone. My co-host, Jeff, just uh, had a coffee fit, so I'm jumping in here. This is Dr. Dina Dye, returning to Eden. Oh, Jeff, goodness. have you recovered? Yeah, I'm <laughs> Your I'm timing still is impeccable. Uh, no, Scott made me laugh, which made me cough. Oh, sorry. So, uh, hi, everybody. This is Jeff Morton in Courts, Dr. Dina Dye. Uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us for Returning to Eden. Uh, a weekly program that we broadcast here every Wednesday night, depending on your time zone. For me on the West Coast, it's 6 p.m. Dina's 8 p- Is it 7 or 8 there? 7. 7 o'clock. And Scott's down in California, soon to be relocated with his family uh, to Idaho. He's our engineer and the owner of Worship and Word Radio. And he actually is in the studio tonight taking care of our show. So we'd like to thank you for joining us. This is... Uh, you know, we've been doing this now for a year and three months, and so it's exciting. It's an exciting time to do this. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to, you know, there's so much that I want to try to pack into 30 minutes. But I'll just start with, for those of you who are not aware of Dr. Dina Dye's new book, uh, The Temple Revealed in the Garden, Priests and Kings. Um, I've got this book now. I got my copy two weeks ago. I took it with me to New York. Uh and read it, and then I've been reading it again, and I woke up last night and I started reading it again. I've read chapter 3 three times, and chapter 6 or chapter 5 uh, gave me goosebumps because it's so. if you read my blog over the last five years, you will see a lot of what she's written in my blog. So it just blows my mind that I get this, and I get it in such an easy, fluid fantastic way and we're going to talk about that tonight but Dina how's it going well I couldn't ask for more it's really been going well uh, since I uploaded it to Amazon uh, it's selling like gangbusters I have to share so on you know it's an algorithm on Amazon and it's based on sales and it changes every hour so you got to get it when you can so I had uh, one of the categories I put the book in is Messianic Judaism. It seemed a logical place. So it's been uh, number one almost the whole week. Although you know sometimes it'll go to two or three if someone else sells some more books. But uh, I also uploaded to something called Ingram Spark, and they have a very large distribution. And so in Ingram Spark, I put it in the category of Christian Bible history and culture, and it popped up at number one in that category. And I don't remember what day it was. I think it was Thursday. But anyways, I looked at the, I was looking at the, um, the ratings there, and I was number two in that category, and N.T. Wright was number one. I'm like, <laughs> wow, okay, I'm good. And then later that day, remember, I, things switch around every hour. But later that day, I was number one, and N.T. Wright was number two. So I was just beside myself. So I took a screenshot. I said, I am keeping this forever. <laughs> I ever run into when I'm going to show them. So it's been uh, in the. This is in the new releases, and in the regular, the bestseller Messianic uh, Judaism, uh, there was two days in which the first book, uh, the uh, excuse me, the book, the Garden was number two, and the Temple and Creation was number five. So that was amazing. Both books in the top five. And so the, the the first book's been selling really well because of the second book, and that's exactly what they tell you when you're you're writing and you're putting together series and stuff. That's how it works. So it is working. Well, for those of you who don't quite understand how publishing, self-publishing, 
when you have a publishing house that's publishing your books, they want you to they want you to buy ten thousand books and then they right. they shoot it all over the place. When you self-publish, it's that's exactly what it means. You self-publish. You wrote it. You self-publish it, and you self-promote it. <laughs> exactly. You said to me a year ago, I don't do very good on promotion of my material. How has that changed now that you've got a series going? Well, I'm not good at promoting myself, per se. But when I know that I have a product, that I've produced something that I think is high quality, I don't have any trouble promoting it. Oh, okay. So I knew when I finished the book, I mean, honestly, and we both, we've shared this, I do think the, the second book is better than the first book. I mean, I think the first book's great, but I think the second one, I don't know, it just, it was harder to write. It took longer, but I think it's better. And so when I was done, I'm going, there's no way I could have written anything any better than what I did, and this is this is a good book, and I, so I'm just going to get out there and sell. And then when the response that comes back from people is the same, where they, you know, it's, transformational for them it's changed their paradigm they're so excited <clears throat> that just spurs me on to continue you know to, to find places to promote it and share with people because I, I feel I feel like it you know I feel that it's good well for the sake of the audience you know piling all these accolades on dr. Dina die that's really not really what my focus is uh, in the show and I, I told Dina that I kind of wanted to interview you a little bit see what's happening uh, since the book's release, but folks, I've read the book now. I'm working on my fourth time. I don't remember ever reading a book four times. In fact, I've never read a book four times. Typically, what I do is peruse through the chapters real quickly, take a cursory look, and then I go back and I read the book, and and then I, you know, I kind of read it from cover to cover. Well, I've read this book from cover to cover twice, and I'm talking to people. Um, all over the place about the book and the reason why the book is so different there's no book like this I'm gonna tell you that right now there's no book that I have written whether Christian whether messianic whether whatever there is no book like this and the reason for that is and Dina and I talked about this before the show started the theological debate the doctrinal discussions the dissertation the uh, uh, the scripture versus that scripture, all of those elements are not in this book. This book tells you what the priests were doing 4,000 years ago, or excuse me, 2,500 years ago, what they were doing in the course of Abijar. It tells you what was happening in the Holy of Holies. It talks about the actual day-to-day -day life of the priesthood and what you could expect. It goes through all of the historical information that you can find anywhere. Dean has put it all in the book, and in some instances in the form of midrashes or a fictitious story that actually takes you to the moment in time where these things are happening. I just think, me personally, that those midrashes that you've got in this book, and you've got them in every chapter, mm -hmm. those should be put to film. I mean, if I had the ability to hire actors and put those things to film, I'm serious. They're so well written, so well historical information is intact. I, I just can't, I can't say enough to the audience listening. When you read this book, and I hope you do, it's going to change the 
entire dynamic of your faith walk. Because this is not a religious book, and I hate that word. This is a book that teleports you back to the story of the house that God built and the perversion that we brought into his house on several occasions and ultimately the restoration of all things and how that's being done. It is a brilliant book. I really do mean that. I Thank really you. mean that. Well, that's so. uh, yeah, that's a high compliment. So I, I appreciate it. I did write it with the idea in mind that I didn't want people to just read it and put it on the shelf and never look at it again. And so I, you know, each sentence I labored over every single sentence. Uh, nothing is in there that wasn't thought through, and you know, I just there's nothing I just threw together for fill or anything like that. And so it requires, you know, you have to read it slowly, and you can't read it casually, and and it'll require you to go back and forth. But I believe I've given uh, a pretty solid explanation and foundation to help people understand the rest of the Bible. That's my goal here. Oh. Get back the big picture so that you can understand. And really, because the Father shows people different facets. I don't have all of the story by any stretch, but I understand the structure. And so that's been missing, I think, out of the last sort of 100 years in Christianity, we're missing the framework and the structure. So that's what I'm trying to impart. And with that, then you can fill in the details of the things that the Father has shown you. And so I'm, I'm hearing this from everyone. I'm hearing that they're reading it two, three, four, five times because there's uh, there's so much in there. And that it's been a, a book that's been transformational. I've had people tell me they were reading weeping because they've they began, or maybe not began, but they really understood what the context of the kingdom really meant, and is it means in their own life. It's it's you know life changing really. Well, to our audience, you know, I went down to the to the temple course with Rico Cortez, Dina Dye, and Joe Good. There there were conversations that occurred while I were down there that presented questions that I would not have known to ask had I not taken that course. And then to understand a little bit more about what rabbinic Judaism is trying to do, certainly involving the temple, to find out that they have maintained the order of the temple for centuries in preparation of the rebuilt temple kind of blew my mind. It just took me to another whole place and a certain respect that I don't think I had. And now having done this show with you for a year and a half, and you bring that a balance to the Jewishness of the scriptures, you bring this wisdom, for lack of a better word, I guess that's the best word, you bring a certain wisdom to what the Jewish experience was that wasn't what we in Christianity turned it into. Right. And this book right here fills in a lot of the, if a Christian reads the Old Testament, they read it more from a reference right. type perspective. And then they read it literally. Jack and Joe went up the hill right. to fetch a pail of water. Because that's how we were taught. Mm -hmm. And that's the order of how the world was probably 300 years ago when the yeah. Age of Enlightenment, which we've talked about a lot. Yeah. But in your book, you kind of cut through all of that and you force the Christian mind 
to look at the life and times of the Talmudin, the disciples, to look at the priesthood. I love your midrash with Yonah. Yonah. Okay, uh, yeah. I love that because, you know, you, you bring the whole, I mean, here's a guy who's practiced to make sure he gets it right for a year yeah. in order to do his priestly thing. Well, what Christian understands any of that? Right. Most don't because we're not taught this. So here you take this guy named Yonah and you put him with this guy named Shaul, and, and this is after the resurrection because the temple was still there, and you turn the story into something that you could touch. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I always wanted to write a fictional book, so this is kind of my way of feeding that <laughs> desire. But it's, uh, I enjoy writing those portions. The fictional vignettes are my favorite part to write, and they're not nearly as difficult as writing the sort of scholarly uh, portions. And they're just fun because I real I do my homework, I do my research, I make sure I understand everything of what I'm dealing with in the culture, the backdrop of it, because I don't want to make any mistake anywhere, you know, in terms of what it looked like. So I work hard at, you know, the history and the geography and the culture as best I can, and then begin to to work the details of the of the story. Well, people, what you what you may or may not know, and if you didn't know this, you should know this. A lot of the scholarly world, they know this stuff. They they understand this stuff. They have a variety of perspectives, but they understand a lot of this stuff. What Dr. Dina Dye does in her writing style and also in the whole goal here is she takes that scholarly world and she just kind of brings it into the pews and into the sanctuary for the common folk to kind of wrap their brain around it. In other words, she takes all of that discussion that's above our heads most of the time and she brings it down to our level so that we can kind of relate to it. And that's what I think is, is the gift here because you take the theological conversation and you go, we don't need to communicate that way. We can just right. tell the story. Yeah. Let yeah. me just get down here with the folks and tell the story. Yeah. And that's something that hasn't been done for a long time. I mean, most yeah. Christians don't know any of this stuff because it never filters through into the sanctuary. It just doesn't. Well, my my real hope is somehow that this book will get out into the larger Christian world. Amen. Um, I know it's resonating with those in the Messianic community and the Hebrew Roots community. And they have enough of a, of a background foundation, you know, to, to understand it. But I really, that's been my heart. I, I knew the first book wouldn't because it was that was hard to write as well. But the, the concept of creation for most people is just like, ugh, <laughs> eyes roll back in their head. But the garden's different. Adam and Eve are different because they're people and, they're, you know, there's a space and people grow gardens and they get it about seeds and stuff like that. So... The hope is really that, that Christians, this will get out into the larger Christian community. And that's really going to require uh, the, the people that I know in my tribe, if you will, that are purchasing and reading the book for them. Because I can't do it, but I need the people that know me and appreciate the book to take it out into their world, into their sphere. And uh, hopefully it will just uh, take off from there. Well, there's so much. I'm, I'm sitting there clock watching as I listen to you because there's so much I want to try to cover in our 30-minute show here. Um, as far as that, the Christian world, 
Folks, I'm going to tell you something, and, and you really kind of have to follow me on this. I believe that the world is moving so fast, and, and in Chapter 5 of your book, you really address a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But it's moving so fast in the wrong direction that I believe that to counter that, the Father's grabbing those who have decided they want to be in covenant with him, and he's moving just as fast in the opposite direction, which is going back to Eden. Mm -hmm. And so we have to kind of let go of what we thought was the biblical narrative in this hour because it's not helping. Right. It's not making a difference in the culture. The culture is eating us alive. And I believe well, that, I, well, Dina, just to finish this thought, and then I want to hear what you say. I believe that the Hebrew Roots Movement, if you will, I hate the term, I don't like any of this religious stuff, but I believe this whole thing that's happening where Christians are going back and rediscovering this is that hand of the Father leading us back to the actual story because of what's happening in society. So I believe we've got two things happening here. The society is going absolutely crazy, and I want to use a different word, while the Spirit of the living God is doing what he always does to draw us back to him. And I think that's really what's happening. Your book helps to do that. Go ahead. Well, I hope so. I think what's happened, because we have put ourselves in doctrinal and theological boxes and made divisions between groups, and we have, you know, 38,000 denominations, it's, a, it's become a reflection of the culture at large. Like, the kingdom does not operate like that <laughs> at all. And so we are not operating at all like kingdom people. And so as we... The, the the thought I don't you know I don't know how he's gonna make how it's all gonna shake out but right. we have we have to get back we are one people under one God in one you know one kingdom serving one God <laughs> and there aren't multiple ways of doing this you know the kingdom yeah. advances according to his presence not according to our knowledge oh well I want to read something. And I highlighted it. Let me find it. You write in chapter, uh, let's see, this is chapter 5, Priests. Okay. Uh, on page 148, you say, The world will never be redeemed if its covenant people abandon their mission by disappearing. Yeah, that was an answer to the rapture, folks. Well, but, but you go on to say, and I get that, by the way, you go on to say, God's great future purpose was not to rescue people out of the world, but to rescue the world from its present state of corruption and decay. The goal has always been to return to the garden, God's Edenic, Edenic sanctuary, to renew Adam's original vocation of making image bearers, kings and priests of the one true God. And the reason why that statement is so important, and the reason why disappearing doesn't solve the problem, folks, the kingdom is near. It's not out in space somewhere. It's here. And we need to understand that when you get into the whole thing about the inauguration and the, the elevation, when he came up out of the water, I've been saying that for five years. When he was adopted out of the out of the water and the people around him went, Oh my God, that's we just witnessed something fantastic. They would have understood it. But we in the Christian world goes, he was baptized. I'm not, I'm not spanking Christians. Well, why was he baptized? I asked that question to a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters. I go, why? 
if he's without sin, why was he baptized? So there's a whole other thing going on there right. that they're not in, in step with. And yet, he, he became king in that moment. Amen. I mean, when his death on the tree finalized, and it wrote it in stone, his blood was the signature, the king's blood seal, that he had taken authority. Yes. Over yeah. everything. Yeah. So we as image bearers, we're really representing the king and the kingdom now, not when the last when the last trump sounds or the last right. blow, uh, what, what is it a uh, Zakia, not yeah. when that happens now, yeah. and you address that quite a bit in the book. Yeah, well, because I'm trying to get people, you know, you know me, I'm just the, a lot of the prophecy stuff just drives me crazy. I'm about, you know, I live here, I live now, I live, you know, in my little sphere of influence, and I'm not living, I'm not living for some future thing that I'm never going to experience. I'm living for now, I can't experience the garden now, because the kingdom is here now present. We see it operating every single day of our lives. You know, I was just thinking about the, the uh, that event, the shooter in Florida. You know, yeah. what a tragedy beyond tragedy. You know, your heart just breaks. But look at some of the, the stories that we see that came out of there. You know, I think of the coach who basically stood up and used his body as a human shield, you know, filling it with bullets to protect the kids. Like, that's kingdom in language. That's laying down your life for your friend. That's giving it all for to save someone's life. Like, that's kingdom. That's the kingdom to me. Right. And, well, we wanna... have, you know... I want to address that because do you remember a couple of shows ago I was telling you I was sweeping the floor and it, I, I was thinking about death. And I, it occurred to me death was a curse. It's not the caboose of life. It's not the opposite of life. Right. Remember we talked yeah. about that on one of the previous programs? Mm -hmm. Well, I've always struggled with this idea that if death is, is so bad, then, then why did Yeshua walk out of the grave? And to me, I realized something. We need to stop seeing death as a part of life. We need to see death as a part of the curse. And you wrote, again, I'm in chapter chapter 5, you wrote the following. When I read this, I, this was a goosebump moment. Death can also be defined as exile from the camp and separation from the presence of God. How fortunate are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. You're quoting Revelations 22. When the divine presence tabernacle with us and Yeshua the Messiah, who was God's new creation temple raised up from the earth, eternal life became a guarantee. Death was simply a momentary intrusion on life. Well, you, this is echoing exactly what was poured in my spirit. I was sweet. I really believe that was a, a ruach moment because I was sweeping the floor, contemplating my brother's death, and I realized that death was not the end of his life. It was the curse, and now he had experienced it, and he's out of time. He's been taken out of time. He's in wherever he is. He's no longer limited by that curse. Right. That. Do, do you understand what that means? And I wrote. I wrote two days ago. 
live life through an eternal lens, folks. Yes. If you can imagine who you are 500 years from now or 5,000 years from now or 5 million years from now, then realize what you're dealing with in this life is a stepping stone into the kingdom. I mean, I'm sure you would agree to that. Well, absolutely. I actually, I wrote it in my book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there. You know, again, the book is just jam-packed full of. Right. Uh, all, I mean, every sentence really. I'm. I really wanted to focus on people understanding the language of kingship, yep. of who Yeshua was as the Messiah and King, which reminds me, as a, just an aside here before I forget. Um, I am actually giving away a DVD, free DVD called What It Means to Be King for everyone who writes a review for me on Amazon. So I have them all here. If you would just go and do that, you have to understand in the book publishing world, reviews are almost as more important than sales. It just is what it is. And so I would really appreciate that. And And so that particular DVD, I kind of encapsulated a lot of what I have in the book to explain what it means to be raised up to be king and, and showing in the ancient world. I, I don't have anywhere near the time here to, to share, but the, that one, that 30-minute DVD really just nails it down. So it'll, it, I think it's a really good synopsis from the book of what that language entails. So I'm going to add a little caveat to your, to your request, okay? Okay. Uh, folks, make it a positive review, okay? Oh, yeah. No negative ones. (laughs) Here's the question I was going to hit you up with. Okay. Before the show ends. I listened to you and Ryan on his new podcast today. I listened to the whole interview. And in it you said, I remember about five years ago I started really tapping into this kingdom language. And then about a year ago it really kind of hit home. and, And I really want the audience think about, I want you to think about the question. Because I want the audience to hear what it's like for a woman who's, you know, raised in a conservative Jewish home, who discovered the Messiah after tiptoeing through the, through the, uh, uh, the crystals. <laughs> Back in the hippie days, for you to see the Messiah for who he was that time in Jerusalem, and now see this kingdom language. Throughout the Bible, do you remember how that hits you when you, and this is the question, when you saw this for the first time, how this kingdom language is so fluid in every part of the Bible? What did that do to you? Well, see, that's the thing about process because... When I recognize, so five years ago, I approximately five or six, I, I finally recognized that the temple was indeed the, the structure framework for the Bible. Of course, if you have a temple, basically that's a kingdom and you got to have a king and all that sort of thing. But it, it, I don't know that I had necessarily had a total, aha, I get it, because I was just on a journey and uh, each step of the journey gave me more a key, a piece of information as I put it together, I don't know that I really saw it as clearly as I did until I finished the book, to be perfectly honest. Really? Yeah, I well, think... That, I didn't expect book, that answer. Okay, I, the book 
I had pieces here and there, you know what I mean? But I don't think I ever just put it all together. The book is a way for me, personally, to put all the information that is floating around in my head together. And I have to do it in a way that people can understand it, that it's simple, and that it follows a process. So I think it's the book, really. Obviously, starting with the first one, because I was trying to you know, understand creation and how that's a, the cosmic creation and how that's a temple pattern, etc. But I think I just didn't really get it until I finished this book. Well, I know you've got some upcoming interviews. You've done a couple of interviews. We're going to be on Messianic Lamb Radio at, uh, I guess, 8.30. I don't know if it's live or pre-recorded. I'm not sure how they're doing that. I believe it's gonna, live, yeah. We're going to be on there, what, Friday morning? Friday morning, uh, be 8.30 Central Time. And you did an interview with... with, uh, Yeah, Robin Gould, uh, Becky Books. uh, Her and I did it. We recorded an interview last week, and it's airing this week, which I don't know what day. But she's also on Messianic Lamb Radio. I did the podcast with Ryan. Uh, We got the Yavo magazine out. Uh, Next week, I'm doing a a TV interview on Sun Broadcasting with Linda Cobb, and so, I mean, needless to say, I'm really, really busy, and the doors have just kind of been opening up for me to share. The book is now up, uploaded on Kindle, so I waited a little bit before I did that, but now, you know, all those high techies who like to read books on computers that I can't do that, but it's on Kindle, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, the response has been really overwhelming, very positive, and I, you know, for some people, just transformational, really. And that's who could ask for more as an author, that you can move people to where their life changes. I mean, it, that's the highest compliment I can be paid. Well, as we close out the show, I'd like to congratulate you on the book. I Thank love you. the book. Thank I think you. it's brilliant. I think you're brilliant. I've said that Thank to you, you now for ever since that time down in Love for Israel when I connected with you because of what you were saying. And I went... My God, she's talking about what I know in my brain, and now I have oh. a I have a I have a partner who's pulling this information. The Lord showed me this eleven years ago, and it, she showed me that you, in order to understand the kingdom, you had to get out of the field. And folks, if you read the book, you'll understand what I just said. You have to get out of the malaise of theological doctrinal gobbledygook (laughs) because that to me is the domain of deception and I don't mean that to throw people under the bus deception is just that we don't know we can't see it and that's what I think happens so I want to congratulate you on your book I know you're working on the third book in the series we're going to keep doing this show until she gets tired of doing it or I get tired of doing it we love being here and uh, we just want to thank you all for joining by the way all of you folks that have joining up to follow the podcast, I'm noticing every one of you, and we've had about 15 people uh, just in the last couple of days. See, that's something I forgot to mention to you. I know that people are reading your book because they're signing up on the podcast podcast and following us. I'm returning to Eden, and that's still growing and continues to grow. So we have a message. I'm just really the guy promoting the message because I get it. I get it. And I just love the fact that I've been been, uh, blessed to know Dr. Dina Dye and we're in the same lane, so to speak. 
And when she writes a book like this and I can get it just like that, that means that what the Lord showed me 10 years ago, it takes two witnesses to confirm a matter. And I'm just, Amen. I'm just there. So we'll, I guess we'll see on Friday. <laughs> I guess so. Another interview. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm cool. Uh, just, yeah, thank you so much for the support and, and uh, it really it means a lot, and just for all of all of you out there that have been so supportive, it's so wonderful, and that you're yeah. reading the book. And again, you know, my my heart's cry is to get this book out into the Christian world. So any way you can help me, um, really, I think it helped the Father. You know, it's not all about me, but but you know what I'm saying um, would be greatly appreciated. So thanks. There you have it, folks. This is Jeff Morton with Dr. Dina Dye, Foundations and Tour. You can catch me at jeffsmorton.com. There he goes. And I guess I'm going to have to close out the show. Well, thanks yeah. for joining us, and we will see you next week. Next week. Shalom. Bye, everybody. Shalom. Bye-bye.